Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm excited that you're joining with us on this great radio station. Now you have this to look forward to in today's message on Hope for the Day. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out what God's will is for our life, don't we? We, we will ask that question. God, what is your will for my life? What I've realized though is that that is not a gospel transformed prayer. That is a us at the center prayer that we pray because we haven't matured enough to realize that it's not all about us. But what if we prayed instead of God, what is your will for my life? We just say, God, what's your will? And how can my life fulfill it? Welcome to Hope for the Day with Pastor Philip Holland. Today we will be studying from the book of Colossians in the New Testament. And while we call it a book, it was really a letter originally written to people in a city called Colossae by the Apostle Paul. The reason Paul wrote this letter is because the members of this church were new to the Christian faith and they had many questions. They wanted to know what the gospel was, what they should do with old traditions from their community and faith, and how this newfound faith should impact their lives. The same thing this letter did for those so many years ago, it will do for us today. It will inform us, challenge us, and guide us towards what the gospel really is and how it can impact our lives. Please enjoy the message. Shifted when he became a a believer in Jesus because it was no longer about what he wanted. It was about what God wanted for him. There's a verse in John 17 that's I don't know, I wouldn't say it's a life verse for me, but it's one of life verses for me. Maybe it could be a verse for you too. It says this in John 17, that I have brought you glory, this is Jesus praying, on earth by finishing the work. And I want to stop there because really that was, up until a couple years ago, that was the only part of this verse that I really focused on. It's been said in life that there are competitors and there are completers, and maybe you can land in one of those categories. For years, I was for sure a competitor. I compete, compete, compete. It's all about winning. But then inevitably, what I found is my body doesn't keep up with that, especially as it relates to sports activities. So I had to transition to not trying to win the race. I just need to finish the race. And so it's about completing. And when I think about this, my ambition became to complete the work, to complete my plan. You, many of you are planners. And if you're like me, one of the most frustrating things that can happen to you in a day is for your plan to get messed up and your schedule to get thrown off. That's our ambition. And we hold on to those plans really tight. And we're meant to finish the work. And then a few years ago, this changed for me. That you gave me. I bet some of you are pretty stressed out right now. I, just, I think I could probably bet that many of you are struggling with that. And my guess is there's probably a lot of stress because you're overcommitted. And what you've got going on in your life is you've got the work that God wants you to do that you might have a little sense of, and then you have the work you want to do. And let me tell you something for you and for me, is that God has given us more than enough time to do the work that we want to do or that God wants us to do. But he hasn't given us enough time to do everything we want to do and he wants us to do. And if we aren't careful, he'll start shutting doors in our lives and we'll start pounding those doors down to get our plans through. And all the while we forget about what it is that he wants us to do. 
And what does he want you to do? It's not hard. He wants you to tell people about Jesus. The Jesus you believe in. The Jesus that changed your life. I mean, isn't that the least that we can do? He wants us to help the hurting. He wants us to serve and to help at our church so stories like the one we just learned about can continue to happen. He wants us to be a part of things like a meal packing that we're going to have at the end of uh, the second service where we send 40,000 meals off to Haiti. That's the work he wants us to do, and he gives us so much time to do it. He wants us to raise our children up in the Lord and to influence our grandchildren for Christ. He has work for you to do, and the challenge for you is to do it, but we have to let our ambition be redeemed for that to happen. The second thing that we see there about Paul and the gospel is the gospel changed how Paul related to people. I mean, you may know this, but if you don't, he was a persecutor of the church. He put people in their place. He was judgmental. He was better. They were worse. And some would even speculate that the reason that Paul is writing this letter is actually to get something from these people. Well, in Romans, or I'm sorry, in Corinthians, this is what Paul, how Paul described himself. For he says, I'm the least of the apostles. And that would have been one of the furthest things from Paul's mouth years before meeting Christ. But now he says, I'm one of the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And the gospel has changed the way that he relates to people now, that he went from somebody who persecuted the church to now somebody who's loving and expanding God's kingdom. Uh, you know, let me say it like this. Again, people think, commentators think, that Paul wrote this letter and he's starting with these very fluffy words, to the faithful followers of Jesus in Colossae. They think that he wrote that just he's softening them up with his introduction to get something from them. He's softening them up so he can come in really heavy with criticism. Do you know people like that? I know people like that. It, and what happens is, is I think there's categories. And so you have this first category that's sort of that somebody will use a technique on you to get something from you. And if you pick it up, like, oh, you're being nice, you're being complimentary. It's that old Aesop fable where the, you may not know this, where the monkey tricks the cat into knocking the chestnut out of the fire. And the, he's just complimenting the cat in order to get the chestnut for himself. It's an, old, it's an old fable. It's out there. But we deal with people like that. Yeah, they're nice and they're super respectful, but it's to get something. It's to come in hard in some way on us. And then there's another category that I would like to think I mainly land in, and that's my heart's not always in it to be nice, to be kind, to serve, but you know what? That's what Jesus has called me to, and so I'm going to do it. And then there's another category that's just people just overflow with love of Jesus, and they're always going to start out with, like, man, how great and how encouraging, and they're, how they, they're just trying how great you are, how they want to encourage you and lift you up because they love Jesus, and they know how much Jesus has loved them, and they aren't trying to get anything from you. They don't have an agenda. They're not trying to manipulate, and this is where Paul is at. He doesn't relate to people like he's judgmental or he's trying to get something from them. He relates to them from a standpoint of, I see what God has done for me and now I want to lift you up as well. The true gospel then has changed his life. The true gospel and the people of God in Colossae and the people who are us. This is what he continues on with. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven 
and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel, the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So what Paul is doing here is right here, he's making this connection with the way that they live their life in heaven and the God, how the gospel has made that happen. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. Our mission is to offer you hope through Christ-centered biblical preaching. We certainly hope this broadcast is doing just that for you today. You might not know this, but each of these sermons are recorded live at Valley View Christian Church in the Denver metropolitan area. If you live in the city, we would love to meet you in person. We offer Sunday services at 9 and 1030 a.m. We have programming for children of all ages, dynamic worship, plenty of opportunities to get connected beyond Sundays, outreach initiatives, and much, much more. And do you want to know why we do all that we do? Because so much of our church leadership has had their life changed by a local church. Because it is here that we met Jesus, and He changed our lives. And we want Jesus to change your life as well. So attend a service at Valley View Christian Church. We'd love to meet you personally. We're located just south of Highlands Ranch off of Highway 85 Santa Fe. You can go to our church's website, valleyviewcc.com, for more information. Now let's get back to our program. And he goes on. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ, on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And so where we started in this passage is about heaven. The gospel changes the impact that heaven has on your life. Does heaven impact your life? Do all the benefits of heaven impact your life? For many of us, heaven isn't something that we think about until we're 70 or 80, or when it randomly may pop up in a Bible study you may be a part of. How does it change the way you live your life? For many of us, not enough. I got a couple questions here for you. What is waiting for you in heaven? The Bible continually speaks of rewards that are there. Often when we sacrifice for God, we sacrifice the here and the now and the temporary to have more of the eternal that we get to experience for him. What's waiting for you in heaven? Does that even cross your mind? It doesn't cross my mind enough. How about this? Who is waiting for you in, in heaven? Who will you be waiting in heaven to arrive? Who will you be waiting for in heaven to arrive? Who, who is that going to be for you? I, are there people that you're telling, about, telling them about Jesus that otherwise wouldn't be there if you hadn't said something to them about Jesus? That's what Epaphras was for this church that he had shared the gospel with them. He's gonna pass on at some point and he's gonna be waiting at the gates of heaven for many of them to arrive. Who is waiting there? Who is waiting for you to arrive and who are you gonna be waiting for to arrive in heaven? And so the people have been impacted by the gospel in that way. Another way they've been impacted is it changes your perspective of the world. And what do I mean by that? Well. He said that the, the gospel is bearing fruit throughout the world, everywhere. And there's this interesting thing about the gospel. You can't figure it out unless somebody tells you. Romans chapter 10 says it this way. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith comes from hearing the message. You can come up with some things on your own. 
you could come up with the fact that, you know, there's probably a good God and I should probably live a good life and you could probably figure out what mostly that good life should look like and then you would probably deduce in your mind, if I'm just good enough, then I could probably go and experience a good place with this good God when I die. You, you could probably figure that out on your own. People, people have been doing it for centuries. That's essentially what every other religion in the world offers you. But what you couldn't figure out on your own is that 2,000 years ago, God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son into this world. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life for 33 years. He died on a cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave again. And he did all of that to atone for your sins, to make you right with God, to give you a past that's forgiven, a purpose for living, a place in heaven. You can't figure that out unless someone tells you. And so now all of a sudden, we look at the world differently because the gospel demands for that. Because these people in other countries can't learn about Jesus unless somebody tells them. These people in other countries can't learn about Jesus unless there's people here willing to love them enough to do something like pack a meal or whatever it may be. These people in other countries or even in another neighborhood or even across the street from us in a different cubicle, in a different office space, they can't learn about Jesus and what he offers us unless we are willing to tell them. But they can probably figure out that they should live a good life and there's a good God and there might even be a good place if they're just good enough. But no one's good enough. And Jesus, plus anything, isn't gonna get you anywhere. But Jesus, plus nothing, will equal everything. And you have to tell people that. And so these people's lives were changed by that man Epaphras because the gospel was shared with them. And then the text goes on. And for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Look at what, how Paul prays here. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. What a prayer. That's incredible, the way that he is praying. And you know why he's praying like that? Because his prayers have been transformed by the true gospel. The gospel changes the way you view God's will as you pray. First John says this, this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out what God's will is for our life, don't we? We, we will ask that question, God, what is your will for my life? What I've realized though is that that is not a gospel transformed prayer. That is a us at the center prayer that we pray because we haven't matured enough to realize that it's not all about us. So we pray, God, what is, what is your will for my life, for, for my marriage, for, um, you know, maybe like a house that we're gonna buy or a vacation that we're gonna take or a job that we may pursue. But what if we prayed instead of, God, what is your will for my life? We just say, God, what's your will? And how can my life fulfill it? What's your will and how can my life fulfill it? 
I, I know that some of you are in the process of buying houses or getting ready to buy a house or maybe just bought a house, but, but we're, we're very familiar with that practice. Here are some factors that we often consider when buying a home. I'm gonna illustrate what, what we do as it relates to our will versus God's will and how we can fulfill it. You know, when it comes to buying a house, we'll, we'll evaluate the monthly cost, which is mortgage, mortgage taxes, insurance, et cetera. We'll look at interest rates, because that's a big factor. Commute time, because we are going to work, grocery stores, schools, and other activities. A school district, community life, parks, trails, restaurants, theater, music venues. So we look at all of these different things. This is how we try to figure out what we should do when it comes to buying a house. These are the types of factors we look at when we're trying to make a decision, no matter what you believe about Jesus, everybody looks at these factors and they're not bad. That's not what I'm saying. If you believe in Jesus, how are you going to be different in the way you buy a home? How are you going to be different in the way you pursue a job? How are you going to be different in the way you pursue a relationship? Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. I know it has been to others. I recently received a message from a listener of ours who said, thank you for these messages on Hope for the Day. It is encouraging and refreshing to hear biblical-centered teaching that continually points people to Christ. This is one of the several notes that I've received from people that are blessed by our program. That is why we want to continue this program on the radio, but that can only happen through the generous contributions of listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us financially, just go to Valley View Christian Church's website, valleyviewcc.com, and then click on the gift tab there. Once you click on the tab, just designated gift to go to the radio ministry of Hope for the Day. Your gift would be an incredible blessing to this ministry. And as always, we want to meet you personally as well. That is why if you live in the Denver metropolitan area, we want to extend an invitation to you to visit us in person at one of our Sunday services, 9 and 1030 a.m. If you do, please introduce yourself to me, Philip Holland. I'd love to meet you. Now let's get back to the program. Instead of maybe looking at it like this, because when we look at it like this, this is when we're left with, God, what's your will for my life? This is when it changes, what I'm getting ready to show you. From, God, what is your will for my life? To, God, what is your will and how can my life fulfill it? With this major decision in my life. Factors to consider when buying a home for God's kingdom. What if we started here? Will this home help support the ministry God wants us to do? Is that, a, is that a thing you think about? Maybe it is. But maybe it isn't. Like, what does God want you to do? Are you really good and passionate at hosting people, housing people, caring for neighbors? I mean, I'll be transparent. Laura and I are not the greatest at caring for our neighbors. That's just, we, we, we're nice to them, we love them, I get in arguments with them periodically. <laughs> and I tell you all about it when it happens, and I repent of it later. But people are better at caring for neighbors than others. If your heart is to care for neighbors, you probably shouldn't move on five or ten acres. Because God's calling you to a ministry, and you're really not honoring that by being really, really far away from neighbors and probably living in an area where only like five or six other people live. I know people that have a heart to house people. They want to house people transitioning from maybe on the street to being able to live in an apartment or buying a home. I know people who house refugees. They house uh, missionaries. They just have a heart to house people. Well, if that's your heart and that's what God wants you to do, then you should probably take that into consideration when you're buying a home. Something that Laura and I do a decent amount is we host people. We had 
this past weekend, we had over almost 25, 30 people at our home. That's what we love to do. That's what we feel like God has called us to do. And so that's a factor when it comes to, that was a factor when it came to the home that we purchased. Another issue is, will this home help our family grow spiritually? And I've mainly honed in on distractions that we often have in our homes. And these aren't bad things. Don't take it as that. I'm just saying, consider it. A game room, a theater, a wine cellar, a bar. These are all very common features in homes now. Are they going to distract you from growing spiritually? Or are you going to put in barriers to keep that from happening? Will this home help our family grow closer together? You know, if people are always 3,000 square feet apart from each other, you're probably not going to grow closer together. Just something to think about. It's not that it's wrong to buy a bigger home. It's just to say, is our home going to help foster or how are we going to foster our family to grow closer together in light of this home that we live in? These are the kind of questions that I never get to talk to people about. Because I'm always, when it comes to buying a house, it's about school districts, proximity, activities they have to drive through, interest rates, mortgage, insurance, all good stuff. We need to think like this when we're praying for God's will and how can our life fulfill it. The second thing the gospel does as it relates to prayer is the gospel just changes what you pray for. It changes what we pray for. And as it relates to how we approach different things in life. Imagine it like this. A friend of yours offers you a home in the mountains to stay at for a week, okay? And, and you get to go there completely free. But you get up in the mountains and you're there for, I don't know, six hours or so and then it starts snowing. So you decide, you know, you decide I'm gonna call them, the people that let us stay up here. And you call them and you say, hey, can, hey there's about an inch and a half of snow on the driveway. Could you have somebody come up here and plow this? It snows a little more. There's like two inches now. And then you call your friend back and you say, hey, man, it's kind of cold outside. Do you think you could send somebody from DoorDash over to give us some food? And then we got, we got the house for free, but we're thinking, you know, it'd be really nice if there was a hot tub. So you call your friend, you say, hey, can we get a hot tub? Could you bring in a hot tub this week while we're here? I mean, maybe just rent it or lease it or buy one. I mean, I'm sure other people would enjoy it. Could you just give us a hot tub too? Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. That's what we do with God, though. He gave us his one and only son, that who shall ever believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then we pray, God, keep me safe. God, take away this slight discomfort. God, meet all my needs. Clean up my messes. And these are the prayers that we pray. But that's not what Paul prayed, is it? Because the gospel had changed, the love that God had showed to Jesus had changed him in such a way, he would never pray for safety and comfort. And I mean, he's barely making it. His life's hanging by a thread. And so what does he pray for them? To be filled with knowledge of his will, to bear fruit for his kingdom, to grow in knowledge of who God is, to be strengthened by him, to give thanks for all that we have in Christ. The gospel changes your prayers. It changes the way that you look at God's will. 
It changes the way you look at the world. It changes the way that you look at yourself. It just changes you when you allow the true gospel to really sink in. It moves you from darkness to light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that is beautiful. What I liken this to is often vacations that we'll go on as a family. And it's there, there's often a pool, but there's also a beach. And what I try to point my kids to is like, you gotta go to the beach, you gotta go to the beach, but they wanna go to the pool because you gotta walk by the pool to get to the beach. And I'm saying, no, no, you gotta get out of this place. This doesn't offer you much of anything. Get past, like, you don't want this, trust me. That is so much better out there. There's wildlife and you can make sandcastles and you got all this water. It's wonderful. You don't want the pool. Don't settle for the pool. You want the beach. Who doesn't want the beach? Everybody should want the beach. When we settle for the darkness though, we're just settling for the pool. And he's trying to call us out of that to this grand adventure that the gospel wants to offer us, but it involves us dying to ourselves. It involves us surrendering our will. It involves us being content that he's given us his son. To learn more about this sermon, sermon series, or other messages, please visit our church's website at valleyviewcc.com. You can also find these radio segments on the Hope for the Day, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Valley View Christian Church is located just south of Highlands Ranch off of Highway 85, Santa Fe. We provide services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. This broadcast is made possible through generous contributions of listeners like you. If you'd like to partner with us financially, just go to our church's website and then click on the gift tab there. We look forward to having you join us again next time on Hope for the Day.